Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, hello, and welcome to this week's edition of Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. And I'm going to do something a little different this week. Before I introduce my guest, I'd like to begin with a topic very relevant to the new year, how to stay positive as you age, no matter how old you presently are or intend to become. <laughs> Sounds simple, doesn't it? But as most of us know, it sure isn't. It's so easy to uh, regret what we can no longer do. Maybe we had a beautiful athletic body years ago, and it's not the same shape now, and we, we don't like those wrinkles. But first, uh, credit where credit is due. Inspiration for this segment comes from the August 2017 Mayo Clinic Health Letter, and I know Mayo doesn't need my endorsement, but I'll give it to them anyway. Uh, they saved my life 30 years ago uh, when we re-diagnosed the type of cancer I was suffering from uh, when I had a large tumor in my respiratory tract. Instead of undergoing chemo as a prior physician had prescribed, they uh, performed an operation uh, near my brain, so it wasn't a simple one, and completely removed the tumor, and I had follow-up uh, radiation just as insurance, but I've not ha I've had absolutely no recurrence over the last 30 years, so I think very highly of Mayo Clinic. And thank you, Mayo Clinic, and a local Mayo-trained oncologist here in Des Moines, Dr. Roscoe Morton, Dr. Morton called a halt to the uh, chemo that was planned and referred me up to Mayo. And uh, anyway, let's get on to our topic, staying positive as you age. Let's start with an attitude of gratitude. Very often, one of the nice things about aging, as you and I know, is that you begin to appreciate what really matters in life, including small things that you have previously taken for granted. Gratitude is being thankful for every experience life throws at you, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And like, uh, probably like you, I've had a lot of things thrown at me over the years, including that cancer threat I just talked about. And research shows that a daily practice of gratitude can boost your energy, improve your mood, increase optimism, and enhance well-being. Gratitude can help to accept the things that you can't change. But second, change what you can. And gracefully accepting the changes that come with normal aging definitely does not mean that you give up on maintaining your health. Normal aging and susceptibility to disease are distinctly different. Your body will naturally change with age, but that doesn't have to lead to disease. When you cut through the jungle of uh, health advice that's out there, the best ways to maintain uh, health and vitality are surprisingly basic. 
Research shows that the greatest gains in mental and physical health and lifespan can be had by following these steps, and you won't be surprised by any of them. Maintain a healthy weight, duh. <laughs> Everyone knows that. Uh, and commit, uh, decide on what weight you want to maintain and commit to making it happen. Get regular physical exercise. Now, that doesn't mean you have to run a marathon every week. Uh, research suggests that people who get regular exercise live longer or better even when it's not associated with weight loss, staying active can also help you continue to do things you enjoy and stay independent. And this only means uh, maybe 30 minutes a day of moderately vigorous exercise, such as walking, swimming, or using a machine in a health club. You don't have to kill yourself <laughs> with exertion. So get out there and get moving and get off that couch. Uh, the third one is eat a healthy diet. Everyone knows that. Uh, a healthy diet can help you maintain a healthy weight, but food choices are important in other ways, too. Eating unhealthy foods may increase your risk of some diseases. Eating well can help you protect uh, you from age-related problems as well. And here's another fairly obvious one. Be tobacco-free. I don't think I need to tell you that. Drink alcohol in moderation, Mayo says, and I like this. If you drink alcohol, uh, limit it up to one drink a day for women of all ages, but we men only if you're older than 65. So I guess if uh, you're under 65, you can go out and have a few, but not the ladies. And seek regular health care. That will help ensure that you're getting the screening test and preventive care that you need. Also, when you have to see the doctor, uh, you think about what you're eating more, knowing that he's or she is going to get after you if you've gained a bunch of weight. And here's a third suggestion. Appreciate your body, not trying to look younger or older than you are, but appreciate your body at the age you are today. For many women, menopause and aging affect metabolism. I think they do for men also, although we don't have menopause. It causes an uptick in weight without any real change in activity or diet. Remember how much easier it was to stay thin and active when you were in your 20s and 30s? Unfortunately, weight gain is difficult to stave off without significant effort. And even if you're able to maintain your premenopausal weight, ladies, or your whatever they call it, weight men, uh, pre-something or other men, pre-drinking too much beer maybe, uh, you're probably going to have a new shape or size. Studies show that having a positive body image and practicing self-compassion uh, as you age can actually result in fewer symptoms, including fewer hot flashes and night sweats. But except how you look at the age you are, don't try to look younger but for whatever you do, try to at least maintain an acceptable and look good for your age. And accept your genes. You probably inherited certain traits from your family, whether it's your aunt's dimples or her thick thighs. Try to view them as part of your image. And here's something also important as you concentrate on your looks. Don't spend too much time on them. Keep in mind the big picture. Remember, you're more than your body. Your greatest asset might be your sharp wit, 
your neck and telling a great story, uh, leading other people, or throwing a great party, and your kindness to strangers or your bravery during tough times. Whatever it is, be proud of it and display it. Step back and think of all the things that aren't reflected by a mirror. Focus on the whole self, not each uh, fine line and sag in your face. Some days this may be uh, more difficult than others. It may help uh, to focus on what makes you shine your brightest. Write down an accomplishment or two of your, or a compliment or two of yourself, and refer to them when, uh, so uh, when you're obsessing over your least favorite features. And take note the next time someone pays you a compliment, or ask your partner uh, or spouse to help examine your greatest strengths. Spend time in relationships that buoy you. There's no reason to spend more time than you have to with people who don't make you feel good about yourself. Now, I know you can't dump your boss (laughs) if you like your job, but if you still have friends or family members who constantly rain on your parade, it may be time to step away from them or at least limit your exposure. At the same time, engage yourself in hobbies and get to know folks who like the same hobbies that you do. They're they're great friends and uh, You always have something to talk about, and social activities and relaxing hobbies uh, can help eliminate uh, stress and anxiety. And consider sharing your passions with the community. For example, if you enjoy cooking or gardening, you might volunteer at your local farmer's market or at a soup kitchen. And here's one that may sound counterintuitive, but learn how to say no. You may achieve a lot of requests for hard-earned for your hard-earned wisdom and expertise, which rightfully you've gained over 20 to 30 years of adult living. Now, this can be flattering, but sometimes it's tough to determine which activities deserve your time and attention. And use these strategies to evaluate obligations and opportunities that come your way. First, focus on what matters. Remember what's important to you and what you're good at. (laughs) If you're not good at uh, speaking in front of people, then don't volunteer uh, to join the Speakers Bureau. Access the time commitment or assess it. Is the activity you're considering a short or long-term commitment? Signing up for a single Saturday event will take far less than heading up the fundraising committee and be realistic about what you can handle and don't overcommit yourself. And let go of guilt. Don't allow guilt to make you agree to a request you would rather decline. If you don't feel good about doing it and you're not good at it, then decline it. And also sleep on it. Stop saying yes to requests on the spot. When someone asks you to do something, get in the habit of saying that you're flattered and you'll respond with a firm answer in the next day or so. It can very well then be no if you decide you don't want to do it. And beyond all else, don't be afraid to say no. Sometimes you have to say no in order to say yes to things that matter most. Saying no may not be easy if you're used to saying yes all the time. It will get easier over time. It's important to try to build a cushion of time around events so that you have time for yourself or to deal with uh, unforeseen events. And here's the final suggestion, that's to care for yourself. 
you know the importance of a healthy lifestyle, uh, but here are uh, some more other things that you can do to care for your body and spirit. You know, we're all considered the sandwich generation at middle age with elderly parents as well as uh, young kids or teenagers, but take a break from caregiving. If you care for a loved one, uh, say a mother or father who's become dependent, take a break. Recognize that the role of caregiver has emotional and physical demands. Strive to allow the person you care for to be as independent as possible. And it's important both for them and for you to distinguish between people, uh, between things the person really can handle alone and the things that uh, your mother or father really needs help for, and this can be good for both of you. And by all means, accept help from others. Uh, don't be too proud to accept help for yourself and for your loved one. Caring uh, for another is a big job. Take advantage of resources and tools in your community that can help you help your loved one. Uh, many communities have classes and services such as transportation and meal delivery, and meals on wheels, and they can ease your load. And don't compromise your sleep, your time for exercise, or your healthy eating habits trying to do it all. Don't, com uh, don't compromise any of those. Remember, if you don't take care of yourself, you won't be able to take care of those who need you. It's like loving yourself in order to love others. And take take enough time to do something you enjoy. Schedule hobbies into your day. And book a block of time gardening or schedule a meeting with your favorite book in a sunny spot. Time doing the things you love isn't wasted time. And pamper yourself. Treat yourself to a massage now and then a manicure, a bubble bath. I guess most men don't like those, but you ladies do. Escape to a local concert or a theater show and meet a friend for a cup of coffee or your buddy at the bar tonight. Buy a new novel or a pair of earrings that you've been wanting. Yes, some men wear earrings too. And take care of your spirit. This is different for everyone. For some, it takes power. For others, it's, uh, for some, it takes, uh, I should say, prayer, medication, uh, meditation, or a belief in a higher power. And for others, it's found in nature, music, art, or a secular community. Staying connected to your inner spirit and the lives of those around you can enhance your quality of life, both mentally and physically. And here's another great thing for us as we age. Stay curious. Try new things as you age. Take a class at your local art or pottery studio, if you like that kind of thing. Or look into an adult continuing education class in your area. Traveling is another way to expand your horizons and gain new perspective. Or if you can't book a trip right now, at least consider a reservation at a new ethnic restaurant in your hometown. And laugh, by golly, laugh loud and often. It really is the best medicine. And the, chances, uh, the choices you make now can help you transform your health, your relationships, and your life for decades to come. So make them strong choices. Set your expectations high. Your expectations are a powerful tool. Live them and use them to carve out a life that you really want. It's never too late to uh, turn out some of your best work. Many women and men 
and before you have blazed a trail of, of achievements after age 50, and you're certainly not <laughs> dead just because you've passed in the middle age. And remember, when you retire, you retire from your career, not from life. And to help transition you from regret over aging to a uniformly positive outlook on yourself and a plan for today and tomorrow, may I suggest you preview my first book, A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, by Roy C. Richards. You'll find it either in print or ebook form on Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, or through our website, MiddleAgeRenewal.com. And now let's turn to our main uh, speaker for today, or our main topic for today, I should say, effective face-to-face communication, how essential that is in the new year. Have you had any meaningful conversations yet this year? I'm not talking about electronic social media, Facebook, or Twitter interactions, but a real face-to-face, one-on-one conversation with a fellow human being where the two of you attempted to resolve a pressing problem, shared emotions, wishes, or desires, or searched for a mutually acceptable solution to an ongoing challenge, or better yet, developed a coordinated plan of action. Sadly, in these times, effective uh, face-to-face communication is hard to find, and you may recall back in our October 21st, 2019 program, I interviewed Renaissance man and novelist Ivan Obolensky on today's conversation crisis, why it's so difficult to have meaningful one-on-one conversations, even with those closest to us, our spouse, the kids, our best friends, the boss, co-workers, despite living in an overly connected modern society. And remember, you can go back and listen to this October 21st, 2019 episode or any other of our prior programs at any time simply by accessing the program you want to listen to on the program website. And today I've invited Ivan back to offer tips on how to start out the new year by initiating meaningful face-to-face conversations. Also, since Ivan's October visit, I've had a chance to read his wonderful, one-of-a-kind gothic mystery novel, Eye of the Moon, and it clearly was one of the most entertaining books I read all last year. And I've asked Ivan uh, today to tell us a bit more about uh, his uh, book and to preview uh, so that you might be encouraged to preview or purchase his book in the new year. And to refresh your memory, here's a bit about Ivan Obolensky. He's vice president of Dynamic Dynamic Doingness, Inc., a full-service boutique that translates documents into Spanish, Brazilian, Portuguese, French, Canadian, and select European and Asian languages. He's author of a thought-provoking articles about current affairs, social sciences, and financial matters, and all of his articles are translated into Spanish. And he's author of the aforementioned critically acclaimed novel, Eye of the Moon. And hello, Ivan. Happy New Year, and welcome back to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Hey, thank you, Roy, and um, it's wonderful to be here, and Happy New Year to you and all your listeners. Well, thank you very much. And to refresh our memories, in today's overly connected society, uh, why is it that you believe it's so difficult for most of us to meaningfully, uh, meaningfully connect with each other? 
uh, even with those who are closest to us, to have decent one-on-one conversations. Well, I think a lot of that has to do with um, the fact that people are, there's a lot of stuff going on in their lives, and uh, meaningful conversations can not only take time, but um, they also go places where maybe you don't want to tread so much, and um, and that can get a little bit alarming because you know to actually work through some of these things, uh, it it requires time, and um, yeah. if you don't have it, you'd rather not do it. So then the conversation is avoided. And it's so easy to type something into that smartphone or whatever, <laughs> and to have oh, it by your side. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, distracted. I mean, most, I mean, the number of people that you even talk to and they, they're they texting while they're talking. And, you know, and I think that uh, it's, it's pretty, you know, it, well, for me, that's not polite. But, no, know, I think it's extremely rude when you're having a conversation with somebody and their phone rings and they immediately cut you off and say, I'll be back. I've got, got to take this call yes. <laughs> or uh, read oh. this text. <laughs> Tell me about it. Well, you know, please, I, uh, oh, I, I just was going to say, to help us start off the new year right, can you perhaps offer a few communication tips that will help us to initiate conversation to get our point across while at the same time leaving, having an open mind and giving serious consideration to what your conversation makes to their point of view? Sure. I, actually, one of the I was never really a good well conversationalist. I think it to the begin with. I think it is uh, something that you have to develop. Um, my best idea on it is you have to when you say, for instance, um, I have to see somebody I've never met. Um, you're going uh, to a party, or you're you know you have a business thing. Uh, you should have questions that you're sort of formulated things that might interest you about the person. And yeah. I think that's, that, that's, a, that's a start. One of the more interesting things and as a tip would be uh, uh, a gentleman by the name of Chris Voss, who is a hostage negotiator, um, oh, has wow. a master class on um, hostage negotiations on negotiations. Uh, but yeah. you know, some of the tips I think he had are quite profound. Uh, one of them was the you've got to you know when you're in a hostage situation and maybe you know people look at conversations as almost being in one of those crisis <laughs> modes. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have a conversation. Um, you know what do you do? Well, one of the things that you can do is you need to get a sort of a the person talking and how you do that um, is you know take the last two or three words of what the person says and and sort of turn it into a question like yeah. the the person says well you know uh, you know i had all this trouble getting to the parking lot and then you say um, to the parking lot and then he's off and then he goes on and then he says well and then this happened and and fred was fred and then you know it goes on and all of a sudden you know you start to tease out you know what the person's thinking about and oftentimes that's just the surface layer that's the social stuff and you haven't yeah, really I like got how the, you, you word it to be interested instead of being interesting they don't want to learn all about you they want to talk about themselves <laughs> that's absolutely true but you know that's how people figure they have a great conversation well, yeah. because the other person was <laughs> listen to them you know whoa <laughs> something new 
and um, and that really it makes a difference. And you can you find out after you do a lot of these that people are interesting, and they're a lot more interesting than they would on the surface appear. It's like a book. You can't tell a book by the cover. Well, you can't really see what a person is until you really, you know, talk to them. And then you find that they have very different ideas and stories, which are, you know, some of them, you know, obviously alarming, but some of them are funny. Some of them, and, you know, you all of a sudden go, wow, this guy's a, this is a person worth knowing. Yeah, my wife had a recent conversation with a cousin in Mississippi. It wasn't face-to-face, obviously. It was on the phone. And she talked about what a great conversation she had and all the information she learned about various relatives down south and elsewhere. But then after, she said, you know, it turned out she didn't ask me anything about myself. It was all about her. <laughs> oh, yeah. and But, you know, that's, that's to me is valid because it yeah. starts. It starts the thing, and then you know it can reverse, you know, at a later time. Um, yeah. No, just so, reestablishing that she hadn't talked to that lady in a couple of years, so it was uh, reestablishing and catching up. And of course, the other person really appreciates having someone to tell their story to. So it's, uh, that makes sense. I know it's 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 interesting. I mean, it's also you can't be burning bridges every every now and again, and um, that's. That's also uh, another important element. Um, you can have a lot of social contacts, and, and that's okay. Um, and but then there are of, of those social contacts, you will probably find that there are maybe ten or twelve which are, you know, significant. Yeah. And you know those sort of strange synchronicities that happen when you know you think of somebody and that guy calls or you know that type of thing, uh, and you know there's a connection there, and that's what you know. That's the good stuff. Well, you <laughs> have a, I, I love you have an interesting term for the bias we should seek to avoid at all costs when launching a conversation. Please tell us what that term is and what it means. <laughs> it means what assumptions. <laughs> you, know, you, you know, you people make assumptions about you know people, you know how they dress and whatever. You say, oh, this guy's going to be a jerk, and. Um, or you know this person's going to be wonderful, and um, you find they're not. And uh, but so you do make assumptions, and that that's normal. And what we have to do is set aside those. And and in a very polarized society, that is, you know, that's difficult. Um, also, it might be a very good idea to avoid politics. I mean, I remember the old rules from the family was don't discuss politics or religion at the dinner table. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, that was always a pretty good, uh, you know, recipe for, you know, controversy if you did. Um, and if you didn't, you know, things tended to go pretty fine, actually. Yeah. I love how you call that a suicide. <laughs> it's a lot yeah, like it, suicide. <laughs> and it is, because it, it, it kills it. And um, yeah. But oftentimes, and, and that's one of the tricks of conversation, is you realize that your assumptions are incorrect. So yeah. you've got to also, and of course, that if you hold up the mirror a little bit, it's like, well, if those assumptions are correct, what other assumptions am I holding that may be incorrect? Yeah. And as soon as when you start getting into that mode, you know, and you start questioning, um, I think you become, uh, you know, you you turn into a real person. <laughs> 
Well, let me turn to the other purpose in inviting you back. Tell us a bit more about your excellent 2017 first novel, Eye of the Moon. I know a critic's comment quoted on your website says it all. Your book had me riveted to my seat, a society mystery romance. It hits in all areas. And without spoiling the plot, uh, please set the scene. When and where is the setting for your book, Eye of the Moon? Sure. That's, um, it takes place in Rhinebeck, New York. Uh, my uh, grandparents had a house up there, in which, um, and then they passed, and they came my father's, and uh, we would visit it when we were kids on vacation. My, my parents divorced, so we would go there on vacations. And the house was magnificent, you know, and yet it had a sort of, I mean, all sorts of things lived in the shadows. You know, I mean, you had little, you had statues and dark rooms and, you know, it, had, it was a maze of, of things. And so you went, whoa, this is pretty interesting place. And then we had various you know, the ghosts of my grandmother would be sort of, you know, would be rumored. And then, of course, one governess saw one, and that really that freaked everybody out. Um, so there was a lot of this, and um, it was just a magical place. I mean, when you're a child, I mean, you don't yeah. – things aren't necessarily – you look at things like as, as swashes of color and, and just moods and tones, and it, it just – it gave a vibe, which was really exciting. So I always thought it was a great place to – for a setting. And then um, for myself, uh, I decided the novel would take place over a five-day period, sort of a long weekend, yeah. uh, and just – you know, started this off was in the, I think 1977, the late 70s, when we were in the infancy of uh, computers, our personal computers, and I guess before smartphones. <laughs> so oh yeah. Communication was easier back then than it is now. Face-to-face uh, -face communication, more frequent anyway. Exactly. I mean, the the whole discussion then was how much TV were the kids going to watch? You know, I mean, it was it was a different it was a different mode. But it by being in that mode, um, conversations naturally would occur. So what I did was I had um, these characters, and one of the characters, uh, they they the two friends Johnny Dodge and Percy were. Um, well, they were estranged. They they had a partnership, and it, the, financially it blew up big time. Um, yeah, they were traders. They grown up together on the uh, Rhinebeck. Uh, one was uh, the son of uh, the, par the parents that lived there, and the other was the uh, son of some parents that were overseas. So uh, they effectively became like a member of the family. So they yeah, grew up so together, and then they come back for this long weekend and meet a whole bunch of really interesting guests. <laughs> Why don't oh, they you do. introduce you us to a couple of them? <laughs> well, sure. One of the things that, um, well, first of all, I'll just say this, that um, uh, the aunt uh, of, of Johnny Dodge had died, um, yeah. and they always wondered whether she was murdered or not, and so they decide, well, we might as well find out and use this weekend to discover that. So they talked yeah. to Stanley. Stanley is a butler, and um, he actually existed, which is interesting. Um, he's buried right next to, um, or at least not far away from Alice Astor um, in the, the Astor plot in Rhinebeck. Hmm. Uh, but he was a, an interesting individual. I mean, he was not, I use the image of him. I mean, Stanley is a, a bit of a, he holds a lot of cards. He also he's holds a lot, a lot more of, than just a butler. He's almost like a 
manager of the whole estate. <laughs> well, you know, in, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, he's like a major domo. I mean, yeah. I think is what the description of him. And uh, but he is really sharp, and he only lets things out on a on a need to know basis. And um, Johnny and and Percy have to sort of they sit down with him for an evening and he tells them what really happened. Um, and it just blows their socks because they just, this was unexpected. Um, they didn't realize that so many things were going on below, below the surface yeah. of what they were aware of. And then of course that's interesting enough. And then um, at that time, uh, these, all these people gather at the estate. Um, Tell us about it, the lovely Brunhild von Hoffmannsthal. Okay, Brunhilde. I mean, this is it's she's um she's a character. Uh, they she meets Johnny, you know, at, in Central Park under sort of what I guess would be like a very strange circumstances. But they meet again, and um, she's stunning, and yeah. Percy is immediately taken with her and just thinks she's. But she's prickly, you know. She's also an attorney, and um, and she works for her dad, who happens to be the Baron von yeah, Hoffmannsthal. <laughs> the Baron is into. Um, he's from Austria, and he has he and his wife Elsa, and Elsa looks on the surface like sort of a Vogue model, and uh, he's a a short. The Baron is sort of a short, sort of looks like Napoleon. And he has a, a similar character in the sense that he's very charismatic. Does he but, hold his know, hand in his chest? <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, my gosh. And so it, it, things start going really weird. And, you know, they're trying to figure out what's, what's happening here. And then, of course, um, Johnny's grandmother, Ma Leyland, shows up. She is a... Uh, and it is funny because I do... My, my stepfather's mother was that way she was oh. a cunning and they owned an awful lot of procter and gamble and you know the company and stuff so anyway she was there there was an act she was based on an actual figure uh on wall street uh who, her name i think it was the crone um she was this woman who was a major player on wall street um and she yeah. looked like a bitch and she but she was there. And um, so I sort of based it loosely on that. And then, of course, the personality. And she's very sharp. But yeah. I, and all of these people, that's what's so fun about this thing. There yeah, are, and her daughter, Bonnie that, Leland, uh, seemed oh, drunk all she, the time. It turned out she's a lot smarter and with it than the people first imagined. <laughs> well, everybody plays their role. And, of course, Bonnie <laughs> wants to take on her mother's fortune, but then there's her half-brother, who's Bonnie's <laughs> father. And, you know, and there's this, this friction between the two. And, you know, so you, when you start putting all these people together around a table at dinner, it's, it's, like, it's like having a pack of wolverines and putting them in a pen and sort of standing back and saying, gee, I wonder what's going to happen. Well, and nobody has a cell phone at the table. <laughs> nobody does. They can have fine lines and stuff. And uh, it's, it's, it's interesting in the sense that it's like in chess when you put a whole bunch of players and they're, you know, various angles of attack and but you don't know what the game is no. until the end when you begin to see oh my gosh this is totally different than <laughs> anything that I expected and and part of that was the way I wrote it yeah. um I didn't know what the plot was that's I never sketched write it out something to not have everything planned out in advance and let the well, characters flow <laughs> well that's the problem is characters they go off plot 
you know, now you can do two things with that. You can collar them and throw them back in there and say, you're going to do this and, and write it that way. But oftentimes, um, I have found that's a great way to sort of uh, take off the creativity and all of a sudden your your excitement about it just goes away. So as the novel progressed and I wrote it, I was very surprised by what people said. And I think that's also what happens to the reader because the author, if I'm surprised, I, I hope the reader will be surprised because I could not tell where this was going at all. Yeah, and, I know uh, your uh, stated purpose is to delight the reader, the sole purpose, you say, in uh, writing the book. But interestingly enough, it shows some real instances where face-to-face communication really changed things and changed people's impression of each other. Uh, as an example, how about that conversation between Percy and Ma Leyland? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, that was um, that's a that was really intense. Um, because, you know, she's got secrets. She doesn't like Percy. She thinks, well, she just doesn't like him at all. And, um, you know, and he always thought she did. And he always, she all, he always respected her. And she just cuts him to the bone. You know, and it's done in such a way. And, and I love the language of it. I mean, again, one of my big authors, I mean, uh, the people I love to read, I mean, Jane Austen was a, uh, was a master of conversation, but Raymond Chandler was also another. Oh. He was really good at dialogue. And um, I, I really, so everything in this book is dialogue driven. And I think that's because how do you know what a person thinks of unless you, it's what they do and to some degree what they say. And, yeah. you know, by Getting the dialogue going and then doing it in such a way as, and of course, you know, do people really talk like this? Well, they could. Um, maybe, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of ums and ahs, but you take all those out and somebody who's quite good with words and you get a real emotional involvement with the characters. And that's, that's the important part that when you finish the novel, and, and this was the intention, it did not happen. You've got to, well, let's put it this way, 92% of the people, and I think it goes to maybe, you know, maybe 0.2 or 0.3, uh, really like the book. Um, you do have that 8% that can't stand it. And, um, you know, and I was trying to figure this out because uh, I'm just that way. You know, I go, why don't they like it? They should like it, but they don't. And uh, it was well, there's very- never been a book where 100% like the book, and that's even true of the Bible, so I guess. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm in good company there. But well, where's the best good. place for listeners to preview and purchase your book, Eye of the Moon? Um, Amazon's probably the best way to go, and uh, you just click in Eye of the Moon, and it'll get yeah. you to the page, and you can see it on Kindle. You can get it a hard copy, soft cover, and uh, whatever. And um, I'm writing the sequel, and and that's oh, great. Wow. Uh, up to chapter 37, and uh, funnily enough, it starts two weeks after um, the Eye of the Moon ends. And I have to get hold of that. I've got to find out what happens next. No, it's not written, buddy. You're not going to find it yet. It's going to take me a while. It takes me about two or three years to, to do these. I don't write, you know, just go down and, and just write. It's just, first of all, I couldn't take it. And, you know, it's just you have to develop. It has to sit in your head for a while so that all of a sudden you sit there and you go, oh, and and that's and then you can then you move on. And it's just it's done like running a marathon, you know, one front of the other, you know, 160,000 words, one at a time. Where can folks go to keep up with you and also learn more about your uh, 
firm. Do you have a, a web address they could go to? Sure. You can do IvanObolensky.com. Um, that's uh, if you look up Eye of the Moon, you get my name. You can then go to my my website. It has a blog which I do every week. Oh. Also, there, you know, it also has links. I think to Dynamic Doingness, which is I did a lot of um, uh, nonfiction articles, and they are there. Oh, um, they're good. They're 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 interesting. Um, they're different. Um, I stopped writing them about two years ago to actually concentrate on writing my you know, the novels. And um, I've got five or six of them in mind, um, not all on this subject, uh, that are just, wow. I've got one. I, I, my, my wife, who's also my boss, said, you know, you've <laughs> got a sequel. So, you know, I had to... That's know, true. Had, Most all of us, although not formally. <laughs> and they are, exactly. So I, I, I had to sit there and take up. I wrote the sequel, so now I'm in that, and I'm, I'm very excited about it, and it's yeah. a lot of fun. Well, that's great. Well, in conclusion, here's a great recipe to survive, even thrive in the new year through those gloomy, cold days of early uh, winter, which we're having here in the U.S., not in Uruguay, where Ivan is from, but during the day, every day, strike up at least one face-to-face conversation with someone you know, even perhaps love, or maybe with a stranger or with someone you hardly know at all, and your objective is to jointly solve an immediate problem or a lingering issue, perhaps simply to exchange views on politics or on the general state of affairs, and approach each of these conversations not to prove a point, but as an open-minded win-win exchange of ideas where both you and the other person leave the conversation satisfied, or at least as friends, ideally with a mutually acceptable solution in mind if it's a problem-solving conversation. And when the sun goes down, instead of spending the evening staring at the idiot box, curl up with Ivan's novel, Eye of the Moon, printed or an e-book version, and I guarantee that you'll have a good time. And that's it for today's edition. Thank you so much, Ivan, and have a great uh, year. And uh, you folks out there, join us again next week for further reasons why middle age can and should be your best age. Bye for now. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 